Bikini. My name is Marie White, and joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? Hello, Marie. It's good to be with you once again. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. We're approaching our two-year anniversary. We are almost there. Are we going to have a big celebration? Champagne and filet mignon <laughs> for everyone. When's the last time you ate filet mignon? Last night. You did? No. When I was... You know, we talked about the connection to Philadelphia, the Oscar-nominated movies. It popped up on one of my notifications, and I didn't realize this, but for the first time ever, the Philadelphia Zoo named a woman and an African-American woman as the president and CEO in their 164-year history. That is remarkable. Times, they are changing, aren't they? I mean, a female mayor, first female mayor of the city of Philadelphia, and now... CEO of the Philadelphia Zoo, which is America's oldest zoo. Remarkable. And I was, wow. And even, I really don't understand how a woman was not in this position before 2024. I have that, a theory. I have a theory on, on that. Oh, I'm into this. Yeah. It's so, I remember listening to a program. It may have even been a TV show. And the discussion was, how do you build a great team? And they were talking about football or soccer and whatever you prefer. And they said, you have to build up essentially a system. You've, you've got to create a pipeline of talent. So you've got to start, like for instance, in England where, you know, football is a big deal. You start out with the under, I think what, under 11 grouping. So the most talented kids that are say between the ages of six and 10, you select from a pool of those kids. And then you do like an 11 to 15 year olds. As they, as they matriculate up the system or through the system, you essentially harvest, uh, that's perhaps not the right word, sounds a little grotesque, but you recruit the best talent from all over the country, all over the world. And you essentially start to build a system that brings talented little kids in at the at the one end of the system and at the top end of the system, you have elite athletes that are playing either professional or nationally for your country. And I think the same thing goes with um, business. The reason why it's the first time I believe that there hasn't been a female CEO is that probably there weren't too many female black female black female CEO as you said there weren't too many black female CEO coming in one end of the talent pipe so by the time you reach the executive level of talent necessary to run an organization like the Philadelphia Zoo there's just an absence of those talented people in I... addition to the in addition to the obvious externalities of like the glass ceiling you know that affects you in terms of gender and race I, i'm not trying to Re be so reductionist that like I'm like race is not a factor like I am sure that there were talented black women who could have been there but from a, a strictly nonpartisan sort of like agnostic I guess is the word agnostic description of it I think that's part of the problem but we've had some black male mayors so I don't know why they wouldn't tap their resources except for sexism oh I admit to that I definitely admit to that and I think really what I'm saying is not to discount the idea that there were barriers that limited the progress of black black women at the executive level, there absolutely is and remains. Um, but I think fundamentally, when you're not recruiting from earlier in the pipeline, so to speak, the talent, it's easy to discount the one or two or three executive level candidates for the job. You can say, ah, oh, you know, it's just like, it's a tough pool. Like, you know, if you have a pool of like 20 candidates and three or four of them are black female candidates, it's just easy to discount that. But if you have a pool of you know, 20 candidates, you know, and nine, 10 of them are female. Um, 
15 are female, whatever, half are female, and half of that is black or, you know, you know, the multi-ethnic society that we live in. To discount that um, is a problem because they, they, I'm sure they're talented black candidates that were in the pipeline before. Her name and- is Dr. Joe L. Mogerman. And as we just stated, she's the first woman and, and black woman to serve as president and CEO. I thought this was strange. She will be the zoo's 15th president in its 164 year history. That's not a lot of presidents. No, because I I think it's one of those jobs when you get in there, you don't get out. It's like it's like it's government work. You know, you see the people working down at City Hall or, you know, your township building like they've been there from the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) They're a fixture. I think it's the same idea. I think I think these jobs and I think also they they require certain specific skill sets. So people are incentivized not to leave because if they leave, I can't imagine that, you know, running a zoo is the same thing as, you know, running like some other traditional business that require executive leadership. I'm sure there's some skills are transferable, but now when it comes to animal welfare, um, I, I do think you, you need to have a certain uh, degree of competence to run something like a zoo. And for me, when I started reading the articles, I, I really don't, I haven't been to the zoo in a minute. I It's not something I think about. I feel like there used to be all this excitement around the zoo. Do you have any interest in going to the zoo? I can't remember the last time I did. It's probably closer between five and 10 years ago. I think it was the last time I was at the Philadelphia Zoo. I, I just think part of me, part of it is the, the thrill of seeing exo- exotic animals has been replaced with sort of empathy for the animals. I'm like, do we really need elephants in <laughs> Philadelphia, <laughs> you know, at you know, at our latitude where, you know, it can be anywhere from 105 degrees to minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Do we really want to do that to elephants? Is is an enclosure, you know, the size of like two large houses, is that an appropriate thing for an animal that weighs 10,000 pounds. You know, that's where my heart is. I go to the zoo and I feel bad for the animals. So why would I want to go to the zoo? I'm going to assume you were empathetic towards Bambi. Of course. She previously, she has been the director of the St. Louis Zoo Wild Care Park in Missouri since 2019. She has a good history. Previously, she was vice president of learning and community at Chicago's Shed Aquarium and spent nearly 14 years in leadership roles at the Brookfield Zoo. And in a statement, she has said she's been honored to be selected for the role. She, quote, I look forward to leading Philadelphia's exceptional team to advance the zoo's mission and further its impact on the region, while also contributing conservation in ways, which I like this, that are meaningful locally, regionally, and nationally. Well said, but I think what you just read about her resume, which I didn't know, kind of speaks to the point I was making. Maybe what, 20 years, 20 plus years of experience to ultimately arrive at an executive position at one of the premier zoos in the country. And and it has certain very proprietary skills for want of a better term. So how many black females are entering that stream, right? I can't, I can't imagine there's even 50. That's the thing. And and I'm sure the really talented ones um, get gobbled up right away. So the ones that are not, the, the ones that get filtered through the sort of the glass ceiling experience, the ones that are perhaps in communities, they're a little bit more forward thinking, a little bit more progressive, that don't see black and female as two inherently disqualifiers. I'm sure those those people get gobbled up immediately. So by the time you reach the more um, elite organizations, the elite zoos, if you will, 
<laughs> sounds Sorry. like a weird thing to say. No, elite zoos. Um, sounds like we're talking about Cambridge. Um, by the time you reach that level, there's no one left. And so the system perpetuates itself. Her quote goes on, there's a lot of amazing work underway at the Philadelphia Zoo. And together with the community and the zoo team, I don't know why that makes me laugh. I am certain we will catapult the nation's first zoo into a model of zoos for the future. And I like that. Yeah, That's I mean, silly. I mean, I think so. It's a well-crafted statement. It has all the right notes. Um, you have to be even cynical about the Philadelphia Zoo? Well, I mean, it's behind any organization is the negotiation of human interests and politics is behind it. I'm not saying she's insincere. I'm just saying it's well-crafted. She hits all the things that I think, let's put it this way. If she was like, hey, really thankful for this job. Can't wait to get started. You'd be like, oh, oh don't you have anything else to say? <laughs> right? We would be we would be critical of her if her um, sort of her acceptance letter, her acceptance speech to the community was a little empty. Okay, Mr. Dream Crusher. Her credentials are impressive. She has a degree in biology from Malacaster College, a master's in conservation biology from the University of Minnesota, and a doctorate in biology from the University of Illinois at Chicago. And that's impressive yeah. credentials. Yes. I'm not familiar with the school where she did her undergrad, but for her math, for postgraduate work, I mean, those are really good schools. I've never heard of Malacaster College either. Yeah. It might be a, like a small private, private institution, but you know what, though? A lot of people haven't heard of Swarthmore College, and Swarthmore College here locally is one of the best liberal arts colleges in, in America. There is no one in this country that has not heard of Swarthmore College. I will challenge you to that, but go ahead. So we want to welcome her. It's Elevating Philly, which is what we're all about in 2024. African-American woman, we say welcome. But then it led me kind of down the rabbit hole of what facts do you think you know about the Philadelphia Zoo, Nicholas? Okay, so the one that I do know right off the top is that it's America's oldest zoo. It's America's founding zoo, right? Go on. Is that all you got? Um, I think that's all I got. I'm Marcus Oldest Zoo. I think that's all I bring to the table. I was fascinated. So we're going to again welcome her to the city. But then it led me to zoo issues. I had forgotten that in 2015, it, so it was in the mid to late 2000s, I had forgotten there was a fire on Christmas Eve. Do you remember that at the primates? Vaguely. Yes. The, yes. Yes. I, I yeah, vaguely remember that. But yes, you tr you've just triggered my memory. It was a fire overnight in the world of primates building at the Philadelphia Zoo. Unfortunately, it killed 23 animals and all of them were endangered species. And of course, as Philly always does, it made national headlines. For the wrong reasons. Correct. Another thought that I think was so popular is the original proponent of the zoo at Lemon Hill was Alfred Langdon Elwin. He was a doctor, author, and philanthropist who believed a zoological garden would contribute to the oral and mental instruction of the citizens generally. I found that fascinating. So I guess that's where we get the media Elwin line or SEPTA, or the local transit line. I guess I, that's where the Elwin comes from. His eight, well, I mean, this is really going back, but his 1840 proposal went nowhere and he soon became distracted by his work as president of the SPCA and a founder of a school for children with disabilities. So that's, I thought that was interesting. A decade later, the cause was taken up by a William Kamak, another wealthy Philadelphian and member of the Franklin Institute and the Academy of Natural Sciences. Well, 
it's interesting to think that you had such progressive minded people in an age when kind of have this idea that everyone's like dirty, dying of cholera and has scurvy. Oh my God, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my point. Like what was happening? That It's just fascinating to me that this is all like the 1900s. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting insight into, you know, it's, and I, I'm saying that half jokingly, but like you, you think back to the past and you think about the progress that we've made in terms of our ideas about conservation, the idea about uh, the proper role of women in society, and it's taken over a hundred years to arrive at this point. So you just kind of have this um, view of the past that it was just filled with a bunch of cavemen. And I'm saying that, I'm stipulating that, uh, that point with the idea in mind that a hundred years from now, 150 years from now, people are going to look back on us with a similar idea that, yes, I am. I consider myself a conservationist. I consider myself environmentally minded, but I'm driving a gasoline powered car. Um, so I, I do see the hypocrisy. It's, it's interesting to know that even in that age, there was an awareness that, hey, we need to do something about educating the public about the value of these animals. And what they mean in terms of the overall ecology and ecosystem. Kamak had been impressed by zoos in Europe on his visits there, especially the London Zoological Society. So he solicited, solicited 36 fellow incorporators and the Philadelphia Zoological Society was born on March 21st, 1859. That's impressive. It is impressive. It is impressive. And it's interesting to know that, you know, if all goes well, I might be able to see the 200th anniversary of the Philadelphia Zoo. Better keep taking my vitamins. You take vitamins? Of course I take vitamins. One of the co-founders, industrialist William Parker Folk, had just excavated the first complete dinosaur fossil found in the United States in Haddonfield, New Jersey. I was about to say, I thought it was Pennsylvania, but no, I think that's absolutely right because I'm thinking it is... Um, I think oil, I think the first operational oil well was Pennsylvania. Sorry, that's a bunch of useless trivia. Continue. Thank you. It became the first dinosaur skeleton in the world to be mounted for display at the Academy of Natural Sciences. And today, a bronze replica stands outside the reptile house in his honor. I like this. I do. I do. It's very it's very sweet. So far, we're talking about Philadelphia, the history of Philadelphia. And aside from my snorky comments, it's been a very positive conversation. This is what the podcast is about. Positivity, brotherly love. Let's get with it. Yes, ma'am. I'll do better. The Fairmount Park Commission, which had rejected the proposal of famed landscape architects, Federal, Frederick Law Olmsted and Calvert Vox, they built New York Central Park for the city park in favor of one by a Hermann Schwarzman. They went to Germany to recruit an architect. He served Schwartzman, who would serve as the lead designer for the 1876, which we're coming up on our, what? In 2026, we're coming up on the, what centennial is it? We should know this. First laid out the zoo, hiring many of the city's leading architects to build designs for it. This is the interesting part. Frank Furness created the gatehouse and at the, his partner at the time, George Hewitt, they had already built the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, created the deer house. And you're not going to like this. And the two of them, George Hewitt and Frank Furness, collaborated on the Elephant House. Yes, the, the thing that absolutely just breaks my heart, but keep going. But I guess to me, it's again, these very local, globally architects were in Philadelphia. It was a big deal yeah. at the time. Philadelphia was a big deal. Philadelphia was one of the 
most important cities of certainly the 1900s, you know, especially when we had an active uh, naval yard or, um, you know, uh, seafaring. It was important. It was definitely important. I mean, all the way up through World War II. So it stands to reason. And by the way, I'm being sort of tongue in cheek about it. You know, it's I try to be mindful about people doing their best at a time when people didn't know much and have the same level of sophistication and understanding of what it takes to provide for animal and to create a sort of animal welfare. So whatever sort of um, misgivings I may have, I, I do try to be honest with myself and take it in light with what I think the overall awareness and consciousness and um, general understanding that people had at the time. So I do try to be mindful of that. On opening day, which was July 1st, 1874. So what's that, 500 years ago? <laughs> I'd go 1,000. 3,000 visitors arrived at the gates when the new Gerard Avenue Bridge opened three days later. There were 8,000 guests, which that's a lot in 1874. I would imagine for, you know, when we're talking zoological gardens, I'm sure that there were probably elite members of the community or, you know, the inaugural guests. Um, I'm sure the unwashed masses weren't necessarily the first ones to line up. You're not going to stop, are you? Admission cost 25 cents for adults and 10 cents for children and prices held steady for the next 50 years. Yeah, that's incredible. Zoo memberships were $20 per year. A lifetime membership cost a one-time payment of $50. That's nothing. And today, a one-year family membership is $135. An adult ticket is $20. And then they discount it to $18 in the winter. Do they still do lifetime tickets in your research? Do you see that? Well, no, or they're not saying membership? lifetime, just the, the one-year family okay. membership. I think it's a great experience for little kids. Um, as much as I'm cynical about the ideas of... Um, putting wild animals in such tight closures. I, I understand that it's a, it, life is often about the trade-off. It's the trade-off of educating young ones about the value of these animals so that when they grow up, maybe they're the ones that can perhaps close these places and protect the, protect the natural habitat of these animals so that we don't, so that the only example of a chimpanzee or an orangutan or any number of you know endangered animals is not in a artificial enclosure. That would be my hope, at least. I guess I should just stop the podcast now. Yes, yes, it's only going to go downhill from here. It's only going to go downhill. I have one more comment, and then we will stop because you obviously hate everything about the zoo, everything about Philadelphia. I don't. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. I do see the value, and I, I truly do think when you go to the zoo and you see like a little kid who's just a little toddler who's still you know bopping along on their legs and just trying to figure life out and you see them looking um at a polar bear or looking at a giant elephant and the look in their eyes of just amazement i don't want to take that away from them i i do recognize what what a sort of it's almost like a spiritual moment if, if babies can have spiritual moments i mean going to the zoo and seeing these amazing animals is is pretty close to that but i do recognize that there is the reason why we can have that opportunity is that we've taken these animals from places where they belong and put them in places they don't belong and you know what I even though I'm harassing you, I'm going to agree with you. I don't go to the zoo. I don't like to see animals out of their natural element. And you know this already. And the, But the one thing I wanted to talk about more was the history of the zoo. We don't. We both don't agree with it. But the fact that one time we are the first zoo in America, the amount of elite, I don't want to say elite, 
but the elite people at that time in that generation really kind of came together to build up the zoo. And again, going back to how important Philadelphia was, we definitely had, we had a good like opening in terms of those early years. You can definitely see that very important people believed in this city and came to help build it up to what it is today. Right. And, and to be fair also, uh, in addition to I'm trying to sort of caveat my more cynical take. This is about the city of Philadelphia broadly. It's not about my personal uh, politics around zoos. And it speaks to the idea that Philadelphia was a cultural, um, it was a cultural centerpiece of this country for, and I, you might even say the Western world for a good period of time. Philadelphia was an important place. It was a place of culture and learning. And it was a place where people would go to better themselves and expand their awareness. And also for us, it's more talk, it's talking about that. And also the fact that now we have a woman, a, a, you know, a mayor, and also now for the Philadelphia Zoo, they did pick an African-American woman. And I like this, I like these women coming in, bringing in, how can I say this? Um, more collaborative ideals than most men manage by. How's that? Right. Right. I mean, because I think men were expected to run organizations like military um, operations. And I think um, women culturally, women have been acculturated. Uh, and I don't mean this, if this comes off as somehow um, stereotyping, I, I just want to qualify that. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the society, yes, the Western world is perhaps the most progressive society on the planet. However, we still have certain gendered expectations for women. And so hopefully those expectations, those skills, um, those experiences can enhance those uh, established sort of executive tool sets that she brings to the table. And it was just hysterical today. There was a horse running. Did you hear about the horse on I-95? No, I have not. <laughs> Please God. tell me the story about the horse running on I-95. You know, I watch the local news. I feel it's my responsibility as a citizen of Delaware County and Philadelphia. I watch the local news every morning. I did not realize that there was polo clubs in Philadelphia. There's a lot of a horse-driven society in the city. I didn't there, know that. Yes, there are a lot of um, paddocks, I guess they're called, um, stables for horses. There, there are a bunch of them all over the city. There's actually um, an... The movie, I think it was it, um, what was the one? There was a movie with Idris Elba. It was shot in Philadelphia about the, this horse club run by mostly black Philadelphians in urban Philadelphia. And they care for these horses. They ride their horses. They build a culture around their horses. You know, I wish I had thought ahead to maybe rewatch that movie to see how, because it ties in. I mean, I guess we're speaking more broadly about first black female executive at Philadelphia Zoo and animals in general. But yeah, there is definitely an interesting horse culture in Philadelphia. And you're like, what? Yep, there, there certainly is. So there are all these, um, and these aren't like rich people. These are just, they're these just working class people that just love their horses. Yeah, and I, believe it or not, I grew up around horses and I, I never had the passion for them. I wish I did, but horse people are passionate and I they don't know where the horse got out yet because it was kind of awkward because it was running down I-95. And I have to be honest, I felt bad for the horse. It had to have been panicked. Oh my God. I just, please tell me the story ends well. No, it, it does end well because I don't know. Somehow it got off 95. The police got it. They, I don't want to say they tied it up, but they neatly put it on a fence, tied it, had food. The horse did not move and the horse was beautiful. But what was weird to me is the people that came to pick it up, I don't know what company it was who these people were. You know, a guy over 65 or 70, the news was there trying to interview him 
and he was getting a little arrogant and nasty and wouldn't answer any questions. And I think the company who the animal got away from should have sent a spokesperson at the same time because we have a right as taxpayers to know why that horse got out. Yeah, you do need people with the right communication skills. You don't need like, I don't know what the, the equivalent of a horse tow truck driver is, but you don't need that guy. That's who he was. Hoodie, angry, wouldn't answer, was almost pushing the mic away. They put the horse on and took off. And I think it was very bad business. Well, you might have an awareness that there's some serious fines and violations are coming his way. I don't know if he's a representative of the company or a third party, but I, I would think that um, something as serious as that, uh, these people are going to get scrutinized. But to see the video, when I find it, I'll send it to you, of this poor, beautiful horse drive running down 95. I thought, you know what? Only in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's 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 a horrible experience. And I'm just glad that the poor animal, I just, it's stuff like this that, that makes me not like people taking animals out of their natural habitat. Because when, when the animal does what the animal instinctively wants to do, which is run free, what happens? We find we put that we, we put these animals in a situation where they either you know live perfect in perfect captivity or we have to euthanize them because of our negligence. Stuff like that just like breaks my heart. So I'm I'm thankful uh, that this story ended well. And you know if this organization, this company, wherever this horse got free from, got loose from, these people need to be fined and we, they need to to have their horses taken away from them. If, if that's the only option, because stuff like this shouldn't happen. Because like I said, when, when something bad happens, the animal is the one that gets shot and killed. And also that, and also it could have caused a major accident on, could you imagine yeah. driving down 95? Cause it wasn't like 530. Yeah, I mean a 1200 pound animal and a car going 60 miles an hour, that's just a, <laughs> not a good mix. Stop it. Well, we're looking forward to the Philadelphia Zoo elevating with a woman, an African-American woman. And I think she has conservation in mind and respect for animals. And I'm feeling positive. Right. And if I can put in a request, um, I think I would love to do, whenever we, we get this, the idea of a talent pipeline that builds up more um, diverse candidates so that we put them in the pipeline. So I think what's happening right now is that you have a particular perspective in white America that's seeing people like the executive at the Philadelphia Zoo, black women, black men, non-white people in leadership roles, and they don't understand how they got there. I know some of it is cynical. I know some of it is they're just playing for the camera and playing for racist hillbillies. But I, I think there's an aspect of it. It's just a lack of familiarity because if you go through your entire life experience and you've never seen someone who's non-white, non-male in, a, in an executive or leadership position, you become skeptical and suspicious. Like, how is this possible? Because you start to think only people who look like you or who look like your dad are capable of being leaders. And so anytime anything but that is presented to you, I think, and I'm not making excuses for bigots, but I think it's just part of the human experience. You're skeptical. It's like, how can this be possible? Because everything in your reality tells you that only people who look like my dad can be rich, successful, wealthy, smart, leaders, effective, whatever adjective you want to use um, to describe someone who is in that kind of position. Agreed. And I think for me, as the mayor does nominate more and more people, this is a definite time that we can elevate in terms of the city for females, for the African-American, not just any, you know, not just the African-American community, but this is a perfect time that we can, this is why I picked this too, because I thought, you know what? It's Black History Month. Mm -hmm. This is a big, to me, this is a big nomination in terms of 
the Philadelphia Zoo ever having a woman, but now having a black woman. No, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal to have a black woman lead the zoo. I think seeing another executive leadership face in the community, in the city of, in a, in a city as diverse as Philadelphia, is very important because I, th- I think it does speak to that mentality that, um, you know, I just referenced. I think for some people, if you don't see it, it's not real. And I think representation matters. And I think right now we're in a phase where, as we see more people like uh, this executive and Philadelphia mayor in these roles, like I said, not making excuses for bigoted or prejudiced ideas is that you've never seen it, so you are going to be skeptical. It's like, how can this be? How 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 is this? Um, how is how how did this come to be? And I and I think as a society we can do a better job of recruiting. You know, to use that uh, football metaphor, recruiting talented people of color, females from the far end of the talent pipeline so that, you know, the next group, it's not a one-off situation because that's that's what I, I would hate to see. I would hate to see one-off talent. I don't think, I, I think the mayor now is grabbing everyone in the pool, whether you're white, whether you're black, she wants representation all across the city. And I think she's going to get there. I think she's doing it. I mean, it's already February, but I think going into the spring and summer, there's going to be a little more tightening of what's happening in the city. She needs to catch her breath right now, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And hopefully, you know, fortunately, she's not coming in, you know, in the midst of COVID at, you know, at its peak. I think if if for mayor to get her bearings and do all the small things that you have to do so that the big things work well on the, uh, you know, at, at the other end, I, I think she is in a pretty decent position because when you are in an um, medical emergency and you have the triage. The, the little things get overlooked and when you overlook the little things long enough, they become big things. Do you want to talk about our sponsor? Marie, who's your sponsor this week? The Shop on Market Street talking about fabulous females. The daily local reader's choice best barber shop in Chester County but you and I know it's Delaware County and Montgomery County and the world. And the and this hell, the, the Milky Way Galaxy. Is an authentic, spacious barbershop providing haircuts and styling for men and children only. Owned and operated by longtime Westchester barbers Ashley White and Christina Hughes. Book an appointment today and find out why the hashtag is Girl Barbers Rule. Their address is 134 East Market Street, Westchester, Pennsylvania, 19382. Phone number 610 545 3732. I recommend going right to Instagram and follow them on Instagram. You can chat with them and also make appointments online. Thank you for joining us today on The White Bikini and have a great day.